So if you have your Bibles with you, I challenge you to open those up right now to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to be doing a lot of looking and flipping through the Bible because uh, we are going to be taking a look as Jesus gets into, and I hate to say his real ministry as if the things that we've already been talking about weren't his real ministry, but when he calls his first disciples, some things start to happen. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking through that. And a, a question has been bouncing around in my mind, and, and it's one of those ones, really it's even been since the beginning of January and even months prior to that, but I told you about it when we talked about the Don't Waste Your Life series. And we kind of went through that, and we talked about Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. And um, since then, even still, there's some questions that just keep going in my mind about Christianity, about what is our goal as Christians, what is our desire? What is our uh, what is our job as Christians, and, and how are we supposed to, to pull that off? And, and we see as Jesus is getting into this real ministry, he's going to start saying some things, and he's going to start doing some things that make us kind of go, hmm, and he's going to start challenging us to do some things. And, and granted, some of the words that he uses are, are hyperbole. They, they aren't, when he says, uh, if you want to follow me, eat my flesh and drink my blood that that's that might be uh, a little bit taken out of kind i don't think it's actual supposedly happened that way you know there's some things that are like that but as we look a question comes to mind and the question that's been going on in my mind is this do i believe this book is true do i honestly believe that this book is true this book in case you're wondering or in case you're listening online is the bible okay do i believe that this book is true do I believe it's true? Because if I do, shouldn't it have some crazy radical implications on my life? Shouldn't it change the way that I do things, the way that I act, the way that I am towards my family, the way that I am towards uh, everybody? Sh shouldn't that be it? And if you take that question to the next level, do we as a church believe this book is true? Because as we get into this real ministry, of Jesus, he's going to start saying some things that we might not want to believe, that we might not want to believe are true. It's recorded in the book. There are challenges he lays down, but we might not like that because it might step on our toes and make us a bit uncomfortable. I guess I'm kind of laying it out here for you um, in a way to say we're going to start diving deep into some stuff here. And today is the start of that. And as we dive deep, it could very possibly Make you go, hmm. You could potentially stand up today and go, I don't really like this and leave. I don't know. I don't know because as I've been going through it, uh, it's funny. One of the guys came to me afterwards last night um, and had lots of questions. And, and he was asking, asking all sorts of things about, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And I said, you know, th that's, that's it. There's going to be a lot of questions that come up, I think, in your mind. I think he's the only one that stood up and said, yeah, I actually want to ask them to you. And we talked about him. We talked about him for a while afterwards. Another guy came up to me afterwards and he goes, you're kind of like a, a dog with a new bone. And I'm like, what? What does that even mean? I didn't grow up in the South. Explain that one to me. He said, he said you, you, uh, you just, it's, it's something you just want to hold on to and you will not let go. And I said, yeah, maybe that's it. Because the, the thing that, that we talked about in Philippians, it, it wasn't what I wanted to go back to. But as we look in this, this Jesus saying, follow me, it goes right back to that. What Paul is saying is the same thing that Jesus is saying. And, and we see it over and over and over again. So what I want you to do, like I said, I, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. But uh, to really start off, as he calls his disciples, I, I kind of want to look at one of the last things 
Now, well, I shouldn't say one of the last things. One of the big things, though, the big statements that Jesus makes about his disciples later on in Luke chapter 14, verses 33. And, and, and when you look at it, it's one of those things that I think it's worth underlining. If you're okay with writing in your Bible, to underline this. Because it's a powerful, powerful statement that makes us question. It makes us question American Christianity. It makes us question Western Christianity. And what really is a disciple? And this is the verse. It says this. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. That's a pretty powerful statement right there. That's one of those ones that hits you right in the gut. And you kind of go, oh, man, I don't. Everything, is that what you really mean, Jesus? See, as we start going chronologically through all of this, and we're going to get off of it just a little bit because we're going to bounce ahead and then come back to this Matthew chapter 4. As we look at it, Jesus is going to say some crazy things. He's going to do some crazy things, and he's going to challenge us to do some crazy things. And he's going to say some things. If you want to be my disciple, this is what you have to do. If you want to be a disciple of Christ. But I guess the question is, is, what it boils right down to is, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? Because we've got to know what a disciple is. When you look at the New Testament, you realize the word disciple is actually mentioned 269 times, give or take what translation you use. You, in contrast, you know how many times the word Christians used? Three. Three times. Yet we have separated the two as if they are two separate things. As if being a Christian is different than being a disciple. And as we look at that, I want to see the different types of disciples that are mentioned those 269 times. Because it's not always this all in, if you want to be my disciple, you have to give up everything you have. The word disciple is used really with three different categories. Probably even more than that, but three big ones. And the first one is this. It's a casual listener. There are people that were following Jesus that were just casual listeners. They walked along, they were entertained, they got what they needed to, it made them feel good about themselves. They were the casual listeners. And then you take that next step to go deeper. Some of the casual listeners really started to get some buy-in in it. And when they got the buy-in, they became more of a convinced listener. This Jesus guy really kind of knows what he's talking about. And as he knows what he's talking about, let's just look at that. And if you go to the next level, the next level deeper, beyond just being a casual listener or a convinced listener, there's the committed, lifelong learner and follower. And that is what is described as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is really where it's at. And what's interesting is, is as we see all of the different references that go on inside of the New Testament, the category that most people fall into are the first two. That casual listener or the convinced listener. To take that next step, a lot of people fall away. As a matter of fact, throughout the Gospels, you'll see Jesus challenged them with a statement like he did in Luke chapter 14, and people walk away because they didn't want that depth. They just liked being the casual listener or the convinced listener. And as we look at it, as we see it, we need to take a step back and think of this. Practically today, where do you think most people fall as disciples of Christ? Which of those three categories? And I'd have to say that of the first three categories, the first two would be where most people fall at. Because most people enjoy going to church. In the Western world especially, you know, they, they go and, and, you know, sometimes they're really well entertained and the music's good and the message is uplifting and that's what they get out of it. And that's, that's where it's at. And then even some say, I really like what this Jesus has to say. And as I say this, what this, this Jesus has to say, I can start applying some of those principles to my life and become a better person because of it. But when it goes to that next step, 
the numbers, I think, get a lot smaller. Because we've created, like I said, this, this idea within the Western church especially, that there is a separation between being a Christian and being a disciple. That, that for being a Christian is for anybody who accepts Jesus as their Savior to save me from my sins. But being a disciple is for that radical Christian who wants to take that big step and say, I'm all in. But that's not for everybody. That's not what everybody has to do. You can just be a Christian and just be saved. And, and we've loaded that up and we've made it that as if being saved is enough. That you don't have to grow. But I think that's a problem biblically. I really do. You know, Mike Napier sitting back here in the back, and, and Mike is our state director of evangelism and discipleship. When you have an evangelism conference, Mike, people come. When you have a discipleship conference, a mm, little less people. Because it, it's not quite as exciting to say, hey, let's go disciple. That, that's not the exciting one. And that's, that's the reason why the church has set it up that way, that you know, evangelism, get saved, get discipled, and grow. Uh. But that's not it. That's not, that's not biblical. You know, I think the biggest need in the church today, the biggest need in our church today, the biggest need in all churches today is not more money. It's not more people. It's not more prestige. It's not more political influence. It is, however, the desire to see people and people having that desire to see their lives changed to become more like Christ. And it's something that we need to hold on to because I want to be a part of that church. I want to be a part of a church that says, yes, God, grow me. Change me so I can go out and change the world. We don't just have that slogan on our, on our different things that says, come as you are, be changed, go change the world, just for the heck of it. We actually want to see that happen. And, and that's what we need to, to do. And, and as we look today, I think what we need to understand is as we look at Matthew chapter 4, like I said, this is where the real ministry starts for Jesus. This is where he has left uh, uh, Cana from doing that miracle he walks that 10 to 15 miles over to Capernaum and as he's there he meets up with some fishermen do me a favor Matthew chapter 4 verse 18 says this you know what before we get to it because this is a passage I think is very familiar to many people who've grown up in church let's pray that God gives us fresh eyes to see this passage in a whole new way let's pray father thank you for who you are Thank you that you have called us to be followers of yours. And God, as we see this passage today, as we look at Matthew chapter 4 and you meeting up with these four guys, give us fresh eyes to see what you really started doing in their lives. Pray in your name. Amen. Verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, they saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. See, Jesus comes on the scene, and if you remember back, and I doubt you do because I had a hard time remembering when it actually was, but back in October, when we first started this, we said, hey, this is going to go about eight weeks, um, th this, whole, this whole idea of this. We were in John chapter 1, um, and we made it all of two chapters in, oh, I don't know, like three, four months. So uh, this might drag out for a while. But the whole thing is, is that we saw Jesus meet these guys for the first time. 
And he talks to them, and they begin to follow him. And, and some things happen, and, and they go back to doing their stuff. And you know, it's not a, a radical, all-out, committed, being a disciple type of following. It's just, hey, we, we met this guy. We're following along. Now Jesus comes to the point where it's time to call them for real. And call them to be followers of him. And he says, follow me. And it literally means come after me. And in these two words, I really believe it tells us what it means to be a disciple of Christ. It tells us what the cost is as well. And this is what it really means. The first thing is, and I say the first thing because I actually had four points in this message. And I think it's going to go about four weeks because um, when I wrote it all out yesterday, it was about uh, an hour and a half. And I figure you guys still want to watch the Super Bowl today. So I figured we'd cut some things out and, and go to it next week as well. The first thing is this. Radical abandonment for the glory of Christ. Radical abandonment for the glory of Christ. And in order to see that, I think we need to look at the context of Matthew 4.18 and, and the things that, that, that it comes from. See, because in verse 12 of chapter 4, it talks about uh, John the Baptist being arrested. And John the Baptist being arrested is kind of what launched Jesus' ministry. There, there was a transition that takes place, and he goes into Capernaum, and, and it says he begins to live there. And we pick up in verse 17, and right before he gets to verse 18 where he goes and calls some, some people, he says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. See, we realize that these are the words that are coming out from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And we'll see that, that idea of kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God throughout Scripture. And we need to understand that it is not a kingdom that is a place, but instead it is a reign and an authority and a rule in a place. In our lives, in other people's lives. That is what the kingdom of heaven, and that is what the kingdom of God is about. And so what I want to do is as we get looking at it, we have to see how do we get radical abandonment for Christ from, from that thinking. And the deal is, is this. As we look at kingdom of God, and you see it mentioned throughout scripture, throughout the gospels, throughout Matthew especially, many, many, many times. Every time that it's mentioned, it's associated with a cost. It's associated with a cost that's going to come from it. If you want to give Jesus reign and rule in your life and give the authority of God the reign and rule where it needs to be, if you want to be that disciple, it's going to cost you something. Do me a favor. Flip over one chapter, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It's the first place we see a cost that is involved. Jesus is talking in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. We did this, man, I think it was back in, in May of last year. We went through the Sermon on the Mount. But look what it says here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the authority of God to be in their lives. So the first cost is we have to be poor in spirit. Look at the second one here. Verse 10 of chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if you want the kingdom of heaven, if you want that authority of God, if you want that rule and reign of him in your life, we're persecuted because of our righteousness. That's, that's a sacrifice. Skip down to Matthew chapter 13, and we're skipping over a whole lot of times in this because, you know, we only have a limited amount of time here. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the idea of of Paul saying, these are the things we have to let go. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. 
And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Do you see the picture in the parable here? Do you see that it's worth selling everything we have for to have God's rule and reign in our life? To have that kingdom of heaven be a part of our life? It's worth giving up everything, leaving everything behind. Let me show you a practical picture of it. Do me a favor, go a couple more chapters over Matthew chapter 19. And I know some of you are like, well, wait a second, now we're just jumping really fast through this chronological thing. We're going to be done by the end of the day with the chronological stuff. I I want to show you where Matthew chapter 4 takes us. When that first call of following me is going to take these guys. And it's a process. It's not something that happened overnight. It's something that happened over three years. It was a process that took place. And we need to see this process. So in Matthew chapter 19, does Jesus really mean give up everything? Chapter 19, verse 21, there's a guy that walks up to him, and and he's a rich young ruler, and he says, how can I be a disciple of yours? How can I have the kingdom of heaven? How can I have your rule and reign in my life? How can I be a follower of yours? And Jesus tells him this in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow follow me. He says, give away everything that you've got. Well, how does the rich young ruler respond? Verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. That's a a pretty heavy-duty statement. You know, a a lot of times in a church of today, if somebody wants to come and be a part of it, we're not going to ask much of them. We just want the body. I'm I'm just going to be honest with you. We want that person. Jesus didn't want the body. He wanted somebody who was literally going to, to follow him. And he says, give away everything. And that's a big deal in our culture because though you may not feel like you are rich, in comparison to the rest of the world, we are extremely rich. What if God said, give up everything, give it to the poor, and then come follow me? Hmm. Not sure if I like that idea, God. I'm not sure if I like it. But look what Jesus says in follow-up on verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Once again, that whole idea of of hyperbole. But he says, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? And I just lost my place, sorry. Um, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Peter answered him, well, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? We have abandoned everything. We have given everything. Remember back when you called us in Matthew chapter 4? He said, we gave up everything. What then is there for us? So Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children, or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much when they inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last, and the many who are last will be first. Do you see the kingdom of heaven's cost? The cost of discipleship here? Not yet? Great. Let's go over to Luke chapter 9 then. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Unpacking these, everybody is following Because it says, then he said to them all, and that's the the casual listeners and the convinced listeners and the committed followers. Everybody's following. This is what he says. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself 
and take up his cross daily and follow me. We have to pause right there for just a second and understand Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. We see it in hindsight that that's what he's talking about. These people are like, what? This is a rabbi, a teacher saying, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. That's, that's a pretty major statement. These guys knew what a cross was. They knew it was an instrument of torture and death by the Roman government for criminals and punished that were being punished. Why in the world would he say that? That's got to be a thought that's going through their mind. Because for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me, and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father, the holy angels. Listen here to verse 27. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the what? Kingdom of God. There's that kingdom of God again. He says, come after me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. You lose your life for the kingdom. Same chapter, a few verses down, verse 57. Some guys walk up to him. They're walking down the road. As they're walking down the road, they say, hey, we want to be your disciples. How can we go about it? What do we have to do? I just want to be a follower of yours, Jesus. And the first guy he turns to and says, Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds, have airs, uh, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Basically saying, you want to follow me? Well, give up your shelter. Understand, we're going to be sleeping out on the ground. Understand, this is what we're going to be doing. Understand, that thing that we hold on to as Americans, what is the, the big goal? Oh, someday I want to have a house. Someday I want to have this. Someday I want to, we have those things. And he says, give that up. You want to be a follower of mine? Understand, I don't have that. You have to be willing to give that up. And then there's another guy. He says, hey, if you want to follow me, come follow me. And the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father and let me take care of my family. And Jesus said to them, let the dead bury their own dead and go and proclaim the what? The kingdom of God. Let them take care of their stuff. We're working on this. You mean leave my family? Well, the next guy says, another says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and just say goodbye to my family. Not even bury my family. Let me just say goodbye to them and the people that I love. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Abandoning family. Even in the time of need. Let the dead bury their dead. This is mind-blowing stuff. And remember how I asked you up front, do you believe this Bible is true? Do you believe that this is, this is the word of God that he is sharing with us? If we do, shouldn't it have some sort of radical implications on how we live our lives? Still, one more passage. Probably not necessary. I think you got the point. But let's just look at one more. Luke chapter 14. Verse 25. Large crowds, large crowds, back to our group of three groups that are following him. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning, Jesus turns to them and he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, this is where the questions all started coming in last night, does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I mean, those are powerful words here. Now, is he speaking in hyperbole about the hate? What, what is that hate? That was the questions that came up. And I truly believe it's in contrast of how much do you love Jesus in comparison to everything else you, you hate because you're willing to let go of those for him. To be a disciple of Jesus, you have to do these things. 
it, it's a little bit crazy, and we come back now. Like I said, this is a process that has gotten to, and the process starts in Matthew chapter 4. So back to Matthew chapter 4, we've got this picture, thinking about how all this was being played out in their lives, how it all started. It starts right here, and the first thing is, is that Jesus says, he wants us to leave behind all things. Leave behind all things. If we look at Matthew chapter 4 and what these guys are leaving behind, the first thing they're leaving behind is their comfort. The first thing is their comfort. See, they're leaving behind everything that is familiar to them. Everything that they know. Their lives, their routines are now being turned upside down. I'm not sure about you, but I'm very much about routine. And when my routine gets messed up, it drives me crazy and it ruins the rest of my day, potentially the rest of my week. These guys are throwing everything like that out the window to follow Jesus. Also, they're leaving behind their careers. You see, we, we look at them, and they're, pro- they're professional fishermen. They're professional fishermen, and, and they're going to throw away their entire way of life because Jesus has called them to do so. Can you imagine if Jesus called you to throw away your entire way of life right now to come and follow him? Would we be able to? to do it the next thing is their possessions see a lot of times we think of the disciples as poor now they weren't the religious uh, or i mean the the elite class of of rich but they were not peasants either i mean you have to think if they were fishermen they had money they had supplies they had boats they had nets they had workers they had businesses that they were running and jesus says leave it come after me and they left their nets and they followed him and what about position? See, a lot of people think, well, in, in that day, when we look at the picture of what you would do if you were going to follow Christ, if you were going to follow any rabbi or teacher, your job was to follow a teacher that would get you to a point, and then you would go up to the next best teacher. And then up to the next best teacher, you were trying to increase your position. And when these guys went to follow Jesus, instead of saying, climb up the ladder, he's saying, no, you're taking steps down the ladder. You're going, you're going down. You're, you're going to be humbled following me. That's, that's a crazy thing to think about. You know, who wants to follow the guy that's going to take us down notches? We want to promote ourselves. We've been in comfort, careers, possession, position, and our family. The, the guys are standing in the boat with their dad. Tradition tells us, and, and throughout the New Testament, it tells us that many of these guys had wives that they left behind. Not, not for good. Jesus isn't saying, leave your family completely and, and leave it high and dry. But there were times when they had to leave and they traveled. And they traveled all around the area to share the, the gospel. And they didn't take their families with them. But they did it for Christ. And the other thing is, is safety. Safety. You know, I don't think it's a good thing when a rabbi says, I send you out like sheep among wolves. That's not an encouraging thought. That's not one of those things we say, hey, that sounds great. If you look at Matthew chapter 10, and he says, hey, I just want you guys to all know that uh, you're going to be hated because they hate me. And by the way, you're also going to be persecuted because they persecute me. And when we think about the word hate and persecute, we look and say, hey, uh, isn't that my teacher hanging up there on the cross? Ah, I don't know if I really, that doesn't seem to compute. I I don't really like that idea. And we, we look at that, and these are the things we hold on to. And why do we do it? Well, it's because abandonment is where we leave behind ourselves. Anyone who will come after me, he must deny himself, even his own life. That's what Luke 14 tells us, our opening verse that we looked at. Everything in our culture is about promoting self. It's about 
protecting self, about preserving self, about taking care of self. And Jesus comes along and says what? Kill yourself. Slay yourself. Slay your own desires. Get rid of that stuff and follow after me. Die to yourself. You die and you give life. Guess what? In Matthew chapter 4, that was a countercultural message. 2,000 years later, it hasn't changed. It is a countercultural message to give up yourself, to give up what we have. I mean, imagine this. What would happen? What would happen if you did these things? What would happen if, yep, I believe. Let's go do it right now. And you walked out of here and you got rid of everything, all your possessions, all this stuff. Said, I want to follow Jesus exactly where he's calling me. You know what's going to happen? People are going to think you have lost your flipping mind. They're going to think you're insane. And you know, the, the worst thing is, I have worked with youth for a long, long time. And when we would go to conferences and I would see these kids say, you know what, I, I, I feel God's call for me to go into full-time ministry. You know what their one hesitation was? How am I going to tell my Christian parents? That was their biggest hesitation. How could I possibly tell my Christian parents? My Christian parents want me to have a good life, and they want me to go to school, and they want me to go and, and, and get a good job and have a nice house and be safe and have a nice family. All the things that Jesus says, don't hold on to them. Hold on to me. Those things you hold on to loosely because someday they're going to be gone. And that's what these kids... Um, it really does amaze me. Imagine the fact that, that if your kid came up to you and said, I want to give up everything. I know that I've got straight A's in school and I'm going to graduate high school and, and uh, I've got scholarships lined up, but I don't want any of that. I want to go work in Africa with orphans. I want to go to Russia and, and work in an orphanage. And that's what I want to give my life to. And I, I believe there's a uh, uh, Kisses with Katie, I believe is the book. And, and it's all about that. A, a girl who had Everything lined up for her, and she felt God's call, and now she runs an orphanage over in Africa. And her parents were against it. Wouldn't we be just a little bit? Because we are protective over our kids. We don't want them to be unsafe. How do we go through that? Being a disciple of Jesus is a radical thing. And now some of you are like, Matt, you're crazy. It's just not possible. It's just not possible. This is what I want you to do, though. Today I want you to think about it practically. I want you to think about it in a practical way that Jesus may not call us to leave everything this week. Jesus may not call us to say, I want you to sell all your possessions and I want you to live as a homeless person and I want you to minister to homeless for the rest of your lives. He may not be calling you to do that. He may be. But as we think about it, what is it that we hold on to? Going back to that that Philippians chapter 3 that we talked about. What are the things in the temporary column that, that we hold on to? When we hold on tightly to Jesus Christ, we hold loosely to everything else. So we're okay if Jesus calls us to let those go. It doesn't mean we have to. But specifically, what if he called you to do a few of these things? What if he said, you know what? If you want to see the kingdom of God, which is the reign and the rule and authority of God in our life, if we want to see that, why don't you give up your comfort? How would, how would you respond? Well, you would respond this way. Well, God, if you decide to give me comfort, I will give you glory in that. And I will let you rule and reign in that. And if you decide not to give me comfort and you decide to give me suffering, I will let you be my ruler and reigner and the authority in my life in that. That's how we respond. With our comfort. What about with our careers? You know, many, many people, we talked about it on, on Wednesday night with the youth, but many, many people wrap themselves up in their career. That their career is who they are. But that is not who you are. 
That is what you do. And while you're doing it, if you allow God to be the rule and the reign and the authority in that, you're going to do it for his glory. You're going to do it to be his disciple. As a matter of fact, if you really look at it, the verse we talked about with, uh, with the youth on, on Wednesday night was John 15, 5 through 8. Follow along with me on this one. It says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown to the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is not to your glory. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my what? Disciples. My followers. This is what my followers do. They understand that it's not about them. It's about the glory of God. No matter what we do, we do it for the glory of God. We don't hold on to these things and say, this is us. We hold on to this thing that Jesus Christ said, this is who we are. We are his followers. We are his disciples. And everything else we do, we do it for his glory. And if he chooses to let us keep it, great. If he chooses not to, still great. And, and that is where we have to come from. It's not about making more money. It's not about being the most successful. It's not about any of those things. It's about exalting God where you're at, whether it be in sports or in life or in, or in work or whatever it might be in school. It's about glorifying God right where you are at. And that's what it is all about. What is the supreme affection of your life? What is the thing that you love the most? Are you a convinced learner, listener? convinced, you know, casual listener? Or are you committed to say, I am okay with whatever God throws my way? It changes the way we live our lives. It changes the way we love our lives. It changes the way we love our family. It changes the way we lead our family. If his kingdom is what reigns in our lives, it changes the way we live and how we live. But why? Why? Because let's be honest. If you're not thinking it, or saying it out loud, my guess is you will start thinking about it now. Why? We are saved. Jesus Christ came and he died for us. There is nothing that we could have done to earn it. There's nothing that we did to deserve it. He came and died for us. All we had to do was accept him and allow him to come into our life. That is the mentality, is it not? Why would I want to go out and do anything else? If I can live comfortably here and then end up comfortably there, why should I do anything in between to make it uncomfortable? Why should I change anything? Where should I go? Because, you know, it's assumed that Christians aren't expected to be radicals. Christians are expected to be pacifists. Christians are expected to be, you know, hey, take a slap on this cheek, we'll turn the other one. That is the expectation, that we can be the doormat for society. That is the expectation of Christians. But we say, hey, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. And, and that is, that's not true. I, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. That is the reason why we are forgiven. And you know what? I praise God for my salvation. I do. Because like I said, there's nothing I could have done. And he did it for me. It was free and it was gracious. But he did it for more than just me. The salvation isn't only for myself. It's not only for me. See, we have bought into this, this American gospel that says it's about me. I, too, have preached John three sixteen, where I said, put your name in the blank when it says, for God so loved the world, put for, for God so loved Matt, that he gave his one and only son, so that Matt might have eternal life. I've done that. It becomes a very self-centered gospel. But that's not it. 
See, because when, when Jesus died, he came back and he talked to his disciples. He came back and talked to his disciples. Uh, you have to realize that there were thousands of people following him before he died. When he came back and talked to his disciples, there was 120. That tells you how much they fell away, that, that casual listener versus the convinced listener to the committed followers. But when he came back, in Luke chapter 24, verses 47 to 49, he says, so the repentance, I, I, I died for the repentance and forgiveness of sins so that it would be preached in all nations. Not so you could have eternal life and period. And so the forgiveness of sin would be preached in all nations so the kingdom of God would be proclaimed among the whole earth. That is why he saved us from our sins. And so we could go and tell that we could share his glory, that we could share his grace, that we could share his majesty, that we could share his authority in the world and share with people so they could be changed, that we could go change the world. That is the reason why we are a part of a purpose to magnify and glorify the kingdom of God. Plain, simple, period. That is why we are here. That is why we leave all things behind and live for one thing. That is the purpose of life. Not to accumulate more. Not to live that way. And that's a radically different way to look at Christianity. Because American Christianity, I believe at its core, is radically self-centered, where everything centers around us. But I'm convinced that if we begin to look at Scripture and we truly believe that this Bible is true, that biblical disciple-making is radically God-centered. Because the purpose of our salvation isn't about us and us alone. It's about us taking salvation the world and that world is right outside these doors and that world is right outside your door at your house your next door neighbor it is in the cubicle next to you at work it is there and it needs to hear radical abandonment for christ is the first step now there's a second step and that second step we're gonna have to get to next week like i said because we can really roll it out but i'm gonna give you a little bit of a teaser because we're gonna have communion next week And as we look at the communion table and as we see what Jesus Christ has done and and we celebrate and remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection, it's all by this, the radical dependence on the grace of Christ. While we radically abandon, abandon our stuff for the glory of Christ, we have to have radical dependence on the grace of Christ. And here's where it really gets good. Here's where it really gets deep and we look a little bit deeper into Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, and we see when he calls them, when he calls them, he doesn't launch out Luke 14, 33 first and say, hey, by the way, you've got to give up everything if you want to be a disciple of mine, because they'd be like, oh. No, he just says, come follow me and learn in a process. We are all in a process in our lives, every single one of us. Some of us further along than others, but nobody has reached that ultimate goal. That is where we're headed. That is what we're going to do, and it's all by the radical grace that God has poured out on us. We're going to talk about that more next week. I do want to challenge you today this. If you have questions, if you're thinking, what, what is all this all about? How do, I, how do I absorb this? How do I take this in? What am I supposed to do with this? I would love to answer your questions. And, and at least try, because I might not have the answers. But I can at least pray with you that God would reveal them to us, to you specifically, on what God would have you to do, what God would have you to do to reach your neighbor, to reach your friends, to reach your family for him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the life and the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And as we sit and as we soak these things in, God, our heads spin. My head's been spinning. This wasn't what I planned on. This was just supposed to be a simple 
Matthew 4, 18, come follow me. And they did, and they left everything, period, plain, simple. But it's not period, plain, simple. It is, it is very deep. And God, as we get deep into your real ministry that took place here on earth, help open our hearts and open our minds to what you're going to call us to do, even over these next few weeks and next few months, and who knows how long the series will go, next few years. That, God, you are calling to change us into what you'd have us to be so that we can, as it says in Luke 24, go and proclaim the kingdom of God to all, the repentance of sin to all. Challenge us to go, to make disciples, to be a part of that process of you changing lives and in the same time changing ours. To go and be a Paul to others and have somebody be a, a, a Timothy to others. You know, to be there in their lives. Help us in that. We pray it all in your name. Amen.